Well, this weekend is Memorial Day, and we want to remember this morning for a period of time those who have given their lives that we might live in freedom. And so I'd like us to watch a, a short video where it's called, This is America We Remember. Give me your, Give tired, me your tired, your poor, your, poor, your, huddled, your huddled masses, masses yearning to breathe free. free. The wretched, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, send these the homeless, homeless tempest-tossed to me. I lift, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Some, some came to this land on the Mayflower. Some, some came to discover their lives. Some, some came to save, to save them. But no, but no matter how they arrived, one thing is certain. The same invitation they received echoes in our hearts today. They invite us into a life that's worth living, no matter what our past. They encourage us to walk the path God's given us, no matter what turns confront us. It's beautiful, really, because we are the tired. We are the poor. We are the huddled masses who yearn to breathe free. And the oxygen we breathe is given to us by God through brave men and women who have died for us. We inhale freedom. We exhale gratitude. And so today, we remember. Today, we honor. Today, we pause. We pay attention. We acknowledge our indebtedness. And we rejoice in our freedom. This is a day of remembrance. This is Memorial Day. This is America. Let's just pray and give thanks to God. Father, today on this Memorial Day, we remember the sacrifices of so many that have died that we might have freedom. We thank you for the freedom that we have to worship freely. We thank you for the freedom that we have to, to pursue you and your calling and your purposes for our lives. We thank you for the freedoms that we have in America, God. And we're so grateful for the sacrifice of those who gave the ultimate price that we might be free. We thank you, God, for the freedom that we have in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that the freedoms that we have in America would continue. That we would continue to have freedom to worship. To pursue life. Godliness. Happiness. We pray God that you would continue to work in our country. That you would continue. To work. In our lives. That we. As Americans might bring glory to you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, today I'd like to begin by telling you a, a story of a brave Christian who lived some 500 years ago. And sometimes it's good to remember. Remember Memorial Day. Sometimes it's good to remember those who have gone before us. His name was William Tyndale. And William Tyndale was born in England in eight, well, not 18, 1494. 1494. 
And he went to school at Oxford and Cambridge, still universities today. They were universities 500 years ago. And William was a brilliant student. He became uh, fluent in seven different languages. He was also proficient in reading biblical Hebrew and Greek. And as Tyndale read the New Testament in Greek, he became convinced that salvation was by faith alone. It wasn't something you had to work hard, you had to do so many things. It was simply by faith, and he became a believer. And God spoke to William Tyndale, and he gave him the calling to translate the New Testament from Greek into English so all the people of England, his, his home nation, could read God's word for themselves. He spoke to the church authorities, and they were against the Bible being translated into English. They didn't support it at all. He went to churches in Europe. They were also against translating the Bible into English. But William Tyndale was not deterred. And so he left England and went to the Netherlands and kind of hid out and translated the New Testament into English. And it was completed into, in 1525. Now the church authorities were not happy with this, this new Bible that everybody who could read English could read. And they wanted to stop its distribution. And so the church authorities began to buy up these Bibles so no one else could read them. And of course the money went to William Tyndale and he was able to produce even more Bibles. So it kind of didn't work out so good. And uh, he, he continued to, uh, after he translated the Bible into, or the New Testament into English, he began to work at translating the Old Testament from Biblical Hebrew into English. Well, the, the church authorities were not happy at all with the way things were going. Uh, he was tracked down in the Netherlands. He was arrested. He was accused of heresy and put on trial. He was asked to recant his faith. He was asked to repent of translating the Bible into English, and William Tyndale refused. And so he was found guilty of heresy. He was hanged and burned at the stake in 1535 at the young age of 41. But I see William Tyndale as an example of someone following God's call for their lives despite the opposition, despite all the efforts to stop him from doing what God was calling him to do. And the New Testament that we read today in English is largely based on William Tyndale's translation. And so his impact has been great down through the centuries. And today we're going to talk about finding hope in difficult times. He lived in difficult times. We live in times difficult. But we're not facing being burned at the stake. Uh, at least not yet. Hopefully never. And so we need to find hope in the difficult times that we face in life as well. Philippians uh, 1. Let's look at these verses. And if you have a bulletin, there's a 
handout in the middle of it that has the outline there and the verses. You might want to follow along there. Philippians 1 verse 27 says, I trust that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And so the writer here, which is Paul, is saying that we as believers need to stand firm in our faith. There are going to be opponents that oppose our beliefs. There are going to be those that want us to stop following God, that want us to stop doing the things that God is calling us to do. But we need to stand, stand firm and not be frightened. The common reaction when you're facing opposition is to be frightened, but God wants us to fear him alone and to have fear of no one or nothing else. As we move on to verse 29, it says, For it has been granted to you, speaking to believers, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Not the most popular scripture. But it's part of what God calls us as believers to do. To believe in him, and as we believe in him, there will be those who oppose. There will be opponents that will come against us. We're going to talk about that today. But that is something that we share in the sufferings of Christ. Did Jesus suffer in his earthly life? He did. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're going to enjoy the good times. And he calls us from time to time to suffer for him as well. And so God, it says here, has given us the grace both to believe and to suffer for, suffer for him as well. Now, the difficult times that we face in life, behind each and every difficulty is our enemy, Satan. Sometimes those that we have difficulty with are other people that Satan is working in or through to influence us away from God. Satan also works through circumstances in our lives that cause difficulty, that cause problems. And his goal is to weaken or destroy our faith in God, to cause us to doubt God, to cause us to worry, to cause us to be frightened, to cause us to be anxious, to cause us to lose hope. And so today, God wants to give each one of us hope, no matter what difficulty you're facing in life. And some of you are facing bigger difficulties than others. Sometimes in life we have huge difficulties we face, sometimes not so much. But if I know people, each one of us is facing some kind of difficulty in our life, something that God wants to help us through, something that God wants to give us hope for. And so in this message series, we've been studying the life of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah encountered great opposition as he was carrying out God's call and plan for his life. And I believe as we study his life in a little more detail today, it's going to help us to find hope. First of all, we've already talked about it. Jeremiah faced, and we face today, opposition to living for God. We're going to begin in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 15, where Jeremiah writes and says, this is a prophecy of his. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns 
all the disaster that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. And so these are prophetic words that Jeremiah was bringing to the, to the nation of Judah, particularly the city of Jerusalem. The people of, of Israel had rebelled against God. They had not responded to Jeremiah's messages down through the years, and judgment was coming. God was calling on them to repent, but they were stiffening their necks. They were refusing to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, to turn from worshiping idols. And Jeremiah was saying, judgment is coming. Now, there's still an opportunity to repent, but it was not happening. And do you think this was a popular message? No, not popular at all. And so let's see what happened next in chapter 20, verse 1. Now, Pashur, the priest, the son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, the things we just read. Then Pashur beat Jeremiah the prophet, put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. Well, here is a priest, not just any priest, the chief officer in the temple, and he didn't want to hear the word of the Lord. It was a downer message, right? Judgment is coming. We don't want to hear that. Uh, we don't really believe judgment is coming. You're upsetting the people. Jeremiah, you need to be quiet, and what we're going to do is beat you severely, put you in stocks in front of a public gate so everybody can walk by, laugh at you, spit on you, slap you, and do whatever humiliate you. Well, it's interesting, just as we read in the case of William Tyndale, who was behind his opposition? It was religious authorities. And here again, the chief religious authority in Jerusalem was behind the persecution of Jeremiah. Well, thankfully, Jeremiah was released the next day and... He did not go away silently. God gave him another prophecy. And this message was for Pasher the priest. Read about it in verse 4. And this is Jeremiah's, we're not reading all the verses because of time, but this is Jeremiah's prophecy for Pasher. He says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself, and to all your friends, they shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all of Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Now talk about Jeremiah's courage. He'd just been beaten by this guy. He'd been put in stocks. He was finally released. And what do you think Pashur wanted him to do? slink quietly to his house and never be heard of again, right? Is that what happened? No. God gave Jeremiah a word and he spoke it directly to the man that had just persecuted him. And in this word, Jeremiah makes it clear that the enemy that was coming was Babylon, the world power with an immense, enormous army. Something that Israel could never withstand their attack. And Pasher and his friends would either be killed or taken into captivity. 
And now we are beginning to see why many think that Jeremiah was the most persecuted prophet in all of Scripture. He's often called the weeping prophet. He faced great opposition. And by and large, no one listened to his message. It was not well received by the people of Judah. So let's think for a minute about what Satan was trying to accomplish through the intimidation of Pasher. As we already said, he was trying to strike fear in Jeremiah's heart. If I continue to do the things that God is calling me to do, even worse things might happen to me. The devil was trying to prevent Jeremiah from carrying out God's purpose for continuing to prophesy. But Jeremiah, he feared God alone. He feared God far more than he feared Pashur or anybody else, and he continued to speak the word of the Lord. Now, in the same way, Satan uses many different types of intimidation or opposition in our lives to keep us from letting our light shine in a dark world. And that's the whole message series, Let Your Light Shine in a Dark World. The simplest intimidation is simply peer pressure. Satan plants thoughts into our minds of what the people around us would think if we let our light shine. What will they think? What will they do? What will our relationship be like if I let my light shine? For example, what will somebody think if I invite them to church? Maybe they'll get upset. Maybe they won't speak to me anymore. Or what will, I, what will somebody else think if I talk to them about the Bible, or about Jesus, or about spiritual things. That really isn't done too much these days. And maybe they'll write something mean about me on Facebook. I mean, that would really be persecution, wouldn't it? If they weren't interested the first time I talked to them, maybe I should just keep quiet. I, I don't want to upset the relationship. But God wants us to fear Him alone. If we stop obeying God because of fear or worry or anxiety, that's what Satan wants us to do. God wants us to have courage. He wants us to be bold, to fear Him alone. The Bible says the fear of man is a trap. It's a trap to take us out of God's purpose for our lives. It's a trap to take us out of God's blessing for our lives. And we see in the life of Jeremiah, we must stand firm when facing opposition of any, any kind. Keep on doing what God is calling you to do. Now, next we're going to look at a very human side of the prophet Jeremiah as he dealt with despair. Look at verse 7. This is Jeremiah. He says, O Lord. You have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you're, you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. And so sometimes we think the people in the Bible are like superheroes, right? The bullets just bounce off their chest, and they fly through the air. But Jeremiah was a human being just like us. He'd just gone through this beating, this public humiliation, and... He was discouraged. God had called Jeremiah. He warned him at the beginning of his ministry that 
his words would not be well received. He knew that was going to happen. And yet I'm sure that Jeremiah, in his heart of hearts, he hoped that some would repent, that some would follow God's word that he was speaking to them. And yet it was not happening. And in fact, things were going the other way. Not only were people not listening to what he had to say, they were beginning to attack and persecute him and even laugh and mock at him, his own people, his fellow Israelites. And so Jeremiah was being honest with God, expressing his frustration, expressing his despair. He continues in verse 8 and says, For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. So Jeremiah's message here is summarized. Violence and destruction. Crowds are going to follow him for that message, right? Very, very popular message. It wasn't an easy message to listen to. It wasn't an easy message to give. But Jeremiah was obeying the Lord. And yet there seemed to be no fruit of his ministry. No one was listening. He was feeling very discouraged as he penned those words. He really wanted to, to quit. He wanted to quit giving the message. In fact, the next verse seems to indicate he, he kind of tried. He says in verse 9, If I say I will not mention him, speaking of the Lord, or speak any more in his name, then in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. So when Jeremiah wanted to stop prophesying, he felt as if God was like a fire within him that had to be let out. The word of God had to be let out. He, he couldn't hold it in. He had to speak the words that the Lord gave him. It seems to me he tried to stop because of this opposition, but he, but he could not. He knew he had to obey God. He knew that he had to fulfill God's calling on his life. And so Jeremiah here in a, a very human way was, was dealing with discouragement and despair. And there are times in each of our lives that the opposition of the enemy or simply difficulties in life, situations will lead us to becoming discouraged. And how do we deal with those emotions? How do we deal with feeling despair and, and hopelessness at some intractable situation? We'll talk more about this in the next point, but the first step in dealing with despair is recognizing that, that God is still with you. Things look hopeless and discouraging if you think you're in the situation all by yourself, but you're not. If you're a believer, God is with you. You are not facing life's difficulties on your own. And Jeremiah, in the last verse that we read, describes the presence of God like a burning fire within him. You know, that's one of the symbols of the presence of God. There are many examples of that in Scripture. We won't go into them this morning. But God was within him as a burning fire. He knew that God was with him. He knew that God would give him the courage to continue the course. In fact, God had promised at the outset of Jeremiah's ministry in the very first chapter that not only would Jeremiah face opposition and great difficulty in his ministry, but God would be with him. 
God would protect him. God would be a shield around him. And God would help him to fulfill his calling. And so, as we look at Jeremiah's words, we see that he began to be discouraged. He began to enter into despair when he looked at his situation. When he looked at his circumstances. When he looked at the people laughing at him. When he looked at the people mocking him. That's when those emotions began to flood his soul. But when he focused on the fire of God within him, the Spirit of God within him, that gave him the courage to continue with the plan and purpose that God had for him. And the same is true for us today. No matter what difficulty you're facing in life, and each of us is facing different difficulties, Behind that difficulty is our enemy, Satan. Don't listen to his lies. Don't listen to his discouragement. Take your eyes off the difficulty. Take your eyes off of the problem. And look at God. Focus your eyes on God. In fact, if you're a believer, not only is God up there, he's in here as well within you. Now, one of the uh, good things to do if you're facing discouragement in your life is to read Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. In many of the Psalms, uh, David is facing or feeling the same emotions. Discouraged. He's facing enemies, uh, both with, in his family or in his court or the Philistines or something else. Discouraged. But by the end of the Psalm, He finds his hope in God. He turns his eyes off of the circumstances, asks for God's help, and focuses on God as his shelter, as putting his trust in him. And so this morning, whatever you're facing, ask God to help you to move from despair to encouragement. He's there with you. He has a plan. All you need to do is follow that plan so that you can regain hope in God. Let's move down to verse 11 as Jeremiah regains this hope in God, overcomes despair in his life. He says, but the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. And so here again, before we read that God was within Jeremiah like a burning fire, and here he speaks of God as a dread or terrible warrior. Now, he's not a terrible warrior against Jeremiah. Uh, He's a mighty warrior against uh, protecting Jeremiah against those who are attacking him. He's there to defend and strengthen Jeremiah in the battle that he was facing in his ministry. And because of the presence of this dread warrior with Jeremiah, he would not be overcome. He would not be silenced. Now, the opposition that was facing Jeremiah was not godly people, but ungodly people pretending to be religious. And Jeremiah would, will be, is 
going to be rewarded. Well, he is now rewarded in eternity, and I will see him someday because he was faithful in, in following, the God, following God. His opponents that were persecuting him, that were doing wrong things, he said here would have, uh, would not spend eternity with the Lord. Now to think a little bit more about the hope that Jeremiah received, I'd like us to turn to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a much shorter book. Jeremiah is a very long book, the second longest book in the Bible after Psalms. Lamentations is a very short book of three chapters written by Jeremiah containing some beautiful verses about the hope that God was giving Jeremiah. Hope despite the difficulty of his life. Hope besides being the weeping prophet. A hope that he had in God despite having no apparent earthly success. Lamentations 1 verse 21. Jeremiah writes, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Beautiful words. And so when Jeremiah took his eyes off the difficulties, off the opposition, off the persecution, and he, he looked to God, focused on the Lord, he found hope. He found a hope because he saw the steadfast love of the Lord for him. He saw God's mercy for him. And that mercy and love is eternal. And that love and mercy was for Jeremiah, and it's for all others who serve the Lord. The love of God is never going to stop. It is, it is eternal. It's a hope that goes beyond this life. It's a hope in this life and goes beyond this life. He goes on to talk about these things. He says in verse 23 and 24, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Good verses to memorize. And so Jeremiah was able to find new hope every morning. When you wake up in the morning, don't think about your problems. Focus on God. Let him give you new hope every morning. God is a faithful God. He's never going to let you down. God is faithful to keep his promises. He's never failed to keep any of his promises. And though Jeremiah had almost no support from anybody else in his life, everyone was against him. Nobody listened to him. Everybody scoffed and laughed at him. The Lord was there for him. He says, the Lord is my portion. Even though all else may abandon me, the Lord is all I need. And if the Lord is your portion, then he says, I will hope in him. I will put my hope in him. He chose hope over despair. And so the way that Jeremiah dealt, the way that Jeremiah dealt with his Difficult times, in fact, not just some difficult times, but a difficult life. All of his days were difficult. We can learn some lessons that will help us to regain hope in God. Now, some people, when they go through difficulties, they get angry or bitter at God. And they will say things like, why me? 
I don't deserve this. Some even question if God exists. If God exists, why would he do this to me? Why would he allow this to come into my life? And none of those questions or approaches are going to bring hope into your life. They're based on lies. Those thoughts come from the enemy to discourage you even further. To take you away from God, who is your only hope, rather than bringing you closer to God. And we see the path from Jeremiah is recognizing that God is with you like this dread warrior. This dread warrior is more powerful than any situation you may face. He's more powerful than any opponent that may come against you. He's there to protect you. He's there to defend you. He's there to help you fulfill his purpose for your life. And as we understand from Jeremiah and the whole of Scripture, life is a battle. And if you haven't recognized it yet, you're gonna, you will recognize it. If you're really young, you might not recognize it yet. But life is a battle. And that's just the way things are. But we are on the winning side in that battle. We have this dread warrior at our side. And we are going to win the victory. And so that is the reassurance that we have. That God is with us as a powerful warrior. And he's not just a warrior. He encourages us. He sheds his awesome love upon us each and every day. If we listen to him speaking to us. He gives us mercy. None of us is perfect. We mess up from time to time. And God is merciful. He forgives. As we confess our sins to him. He doesn't condemn us if we fall into discouragement. He's there to lift us up. If we look to him. And so this morning he encourages each one of us. Lift up your heads this morning. Stop looking down at all the problems. Lift up your heads and look. To God. Focus your gaze on him. Not the circumstances. And as you do. You become more aware of his great love for you. You become more aware of his mercy. That's available to you. Every day. And especially every morning. What a great time to look to God in the morning. Before you start your day. And recognize that he's with you. He's there to encourage you. He's there to comfort you. He's there to help you. And bring you hope. And so each of us is facing difficulties of one kind or another in our lives today. And behind those is this enemy that's opposing God's purposes in your life. And sometimes we do get discouraged. Sometimes I get discouraged. Everybody gets discouraged from time to time. But the question is, what do you do with that? Where do you turn? Do you continue down in this downward spiral or do you turn your gaze to God and let him lift you out? So God encourages us to look to him and to see him as this, as this great warrior that's standing with us in the battle. Let him remind you of how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, and the next steps that he has for you to take in your life. And as you do that, no matter what you go through, you'll have hope, hope in difficult times. Now, the first step, really, to having God in your life, well, there's three, three steps here. 
Uh, but the first thing is to make sure that God is in your life. God is not in everybody's life. Uh, there are those who have been saved and there are those who have yet to be saved. To have God in your life, first of all, you need to admit that you've sinned and that sin has separated you from God. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Secondly, we need to repent, turn away from that sin and believe that Jesus died on the cross that we might be forgiven. Ask him to forgive you. Believe that he rose from the dead three days later and commit your life to following him as your Lord and Savior. I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads right now. We're going to pray a, a simple prayer. If you never prayed a prayer like this before, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Or perhaps you've made a prayer like this in the past and you want to recommit your life to God this morning. I'd encourage you to do that as well. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things in my life. Things that I knew were wrong. I've been following my own plan for my life, not yours. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took my sins upon himself that I might be forgiven. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you as my Lord and Savior, to following your plan for my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.